Are you sitting comfortably? Really? It's hot and you're on hard school chairs. I don't think so. <laughs> Are you sitting uncomfortably? Then I'll begin. The wind and the sun. An argument arose between the north wind and the sun over which of them was stronger. Noting a traveller on his journey, they decided to put it to the test by seeing which of them could get the man's cloak off soonest. The wind began, sending a furious blast which nearly tore the cloak from his fastenings. But the traveller seized the garment in both hands and clutched it to him so tightly that the wind went on blowing in vain till it was exhausted. The sun now had its turn, dispelling the clouds that had gathered and beaming its most sultry heat on the traveller's head. Soon, growing faint from the heat, the man flung off his cloak and ran for the nearest shady place. And the wind had to admit that the sun was the stronger of the two. Uh, back in 2016, we had a time of prayer and fasting. And in that time, we felt that, that God was saying three main things to us. Um, that we should focus on relationships. That we should remain a healthy church through prayer and staying in touch with the Holy Spirit. And about growth. And perhaps those things were linked together. So since then, for about the last 18 months or so, I've been really looking into the subject of relationships and all sorts of aspects of it. Um, I've read loads of books, loads of research, been to seminars, I've talked to a lot of people, including people here. And so this is the first of three talks around the subject of church as family and what that means. Uh, this one is on uh, church family and singleness, the next one will be church family and marriage, and the final one, church family and sexuality. So just because this is about singleness today doesn't mean you can switch off because most of what I'm saying is relevant to everyone. And in fact, those who are single among us may be ahead of those who are married because they'll have had to have dealt with some of these things in a way that we may have avoided. Our culture sends some really strong messages and it does it in some very, very powerful ways. Through films and dramas and soaps and music and novels and all sorts. And it gives some very strong messages. And here are some of them. That sexualized coupledom is the only place you can find fulfillment. It isn't. It tells you that you are another half. You've got to find another half. But you don't. It says fellowship isn't enough. We can be best friends with benefits and all will be well. But it won't. It says if the relationship no longer suits my needs, I can leave. Really? Is that the level we want? It says that men and women can't be friends without it being romantic. They can. It says you most need personal autonomy. You don't. We're designed to be interdependent. It tells us that resisting our deepest desires will harm us, that we should just follow our dreams and our desires. Or that one's not even possible. Um, imagine you've got these deep desires um, deep down inside you. One is for cake. Um, and I'm not speaking from personal experience. Don't laugh. Um, one is for cake. <laughs> And the other is to remain thin. Well, those deep desires, there's a clash. It's not going to come work out, is it? You may have a desire to reach the absolute peak of your career, but you might also want an amazing family life. And we know too often those things, if somebody tries to do both, how wrong it goes. We're the first culture to value sexual relationships above friendship as a primary source of intimacy. And I do mean proper intimacy, not sex, which is what our culture tells us is intimacy. Above all, it tells us that we can't be single and fulfilled. But our culture has been lying to us. 
I wonder if you've ever believed any of those lies. Now, there are different types of singleness, so let's not lump everybody together. Um, it could be simply because of your age. You might not be old enough to be married. You may never have married. Um, you may have been previously married, but sadly, because of bereavement or divorce or abuse, you no longer are. It might be due to circumstance. Perhaps you're a carer. You might have dependent parents. Or it might be because of your career. It's just not compatible with a good relationship. Or it might be because you're attracted to people of the same sex and feel that that doesn't fit with your Christian understanding. Um, if that is the case, um, I will be dealing with that in the third talk on sexuality. Um, but if that is your particular um, struggle, uh, you are safe to come and talk to me. I have looked at this a lot, and you can come and talk to me. It's not going to be a problem. Um, and just as an aside, uh, within the church, there'll also be um, many of you who are married, but married to unbelievers. And I know that in some ways you may feel perhaps sort of functionally single within the church, um, but you do, you know, it's very important you have your own um, things to deal with, and I'm aware of that, but I will cover that in the next talk. But most of what I say today will also be relevant to you. Um, for some, singleness is very liberating, uh, but for a lot of people, it's obviously very hard. You might be grieving if you haven't been able to have children. You might attend friends' weddings and feel both glad and sad at the same time. You might be lonely. You might feel that it's personal. Why would nobody marry me? You may even have been in a sexual relationship in the past, but when you were an unbeliever, and now find it hard that you're not. The fact is, singleness is part of all our life's experience. We've all been single. We all know something of what it's like. Those of you, or those of us who are married, remember that you will be single again. Your vows are till death us depart. And Jesus said that in the age to come, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. We will all be single one, one way or another again. If we haven't dealt with this stuff, then we might experience some problems. So a brief history of attitudes um, in the past, and this has been a kind of a, a pendulum swinging back and forth between two rather unhealthy extremes. So it starts off, say, in Genesis, where God tells Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply, fill the earth, and Jewish society really held marriage in high esteem. Religious leaders were always married, and it tended to marginalize singles. Then Jesus and Christian teaching came along and raised singleness so that it was level with marriage, that they were both good. And then asceticism went the other way and promoted singleness above marriage, uh, saying that only worldly people actually got married. Monks and nuns and priests forsook marriage because they were the really, you know, holy spiritual people. And then Protestants rejected the enforced celibacy and went back the other way and really pushed marriage again over singleness. Um, in our time, the promotion of family can sometimes marginalise singles still. Um, I wonder what you dream of. Perhaps to be married with a comfortable home, secure job, Good education and happiness for your 2.4 children, followed by a comfortable retirement. If you do, um, that's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible says, promises us. That's the American dream. Um, I hope you haven't settled for that. I'm sure you haven't. <laughs> uh, Neil is going to come and read from the Bible for us now. This is 1 Corinthians 7, a slightly abridged version. Concerning married life. Now, for the matters you wrote about... It is good for a man not to marry. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 17 concerning change of status. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Verse 25, concerning the unmarried. Now about virgins... I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's authority, Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is, con- is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, This man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too... Have the Spirit of God. So right from the beginning there, he says, now for the matters you wrote about. So clearly this is a letter written in response 
to questions that the church had. And what was going on at the time was in Corinth, there was a lot of sexual immorality, and that was beginning to seep into the church. And so they were asking questions about it. But the other thing that had happened was the Emperor Augustus, um, he'd got quite concerned that the population was falling. So he'd put into place these laws that made it financially and in terms of status better to be married than single. So this was a question that was really in people's minds. Should they get married? And Paul says you can't improve your status and your place and your identity by being married. But he does, in verse 3, talk about a uh, husband fulfilling his marital duty and vice versa. Marriage and sexuality used as God, God designed are good. Um, and we'll look at that in another talk. But scripture there teaches us something else. Another reason we might be single, and that reason is we could choose it. We could choose it for the sake of the kingdom. Or even if we don't actually choose it, we can choose to embrace it. Paul says in verse 7 7 and 8, I wish that all of you were as I am. It is good for the unmarried to stay unmarried as I do. So singleness is good. And it is sufficient and viable for those who are in Christ. Can you, can you honestly say that? Or are you looking to your current or future spouse for some kind of completeness? He talks also about gifts in verse 7. Um, each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Uh, people might think, well, if singleness is a gift, what's the return policy? Can I get my money back? Can I exchange it? Um, they might also think, well, you know, as a single person, you might think, if I had this gift of singleness, then I'd find it easy to be single, but I don't. It's hard. But to think of it like that is to completely misunderstand what it means. And sometimes these gift finders that you get in church circles will include singleness and marriage as, as, as a kind of gift that you've got to discern um, by, by whether, you, you know, whether you're attracted to a people of the opposite sex or whether you find it easy to be on your own. That's, just, that's complete nonsense, complete misunderstanding. What this is is a description of your objective status. If I am single, I have the gift of singleness. If I am married, I have the gift of marriage. Um, It might be easier to think of it. We sometimes talk about the gift of children. Um, If you've got small creatures running around your ankles, smelling and biting and (laughs) generally being loud, then you have the gift of children. Um, Katrina and I don't have that gift, and I just want to... to Oh, cat, no, cat, oh, right... Oh, that's what they are. <laughs> so um, if you think of it in terms of the gift, the blessing, you know, you have the blessing of singleness if you're single, the blessing of marriage if you're married. Um, if, you're, if you're married. So the point is to enjoy whichever gift you've got while you have it, recognizing it might not be forever. You might marry, you might lose your spouse, you might exchange one gift for the other. Which gift do you have? And are you enjoying its blessings? It also talks about something else. Katrina's been wondering why I needed this picture off our wall all week. Um, this is a painting that we commissioned from an artist in Jamaica. We'd seen some of the things he liked, uh, sorry, that we liked that he'd done, but we couldn't afford them. So we asked if he'd take a few of the elements, um, put them in a picture for us. So he painted this for us. Uh, you'll see a big version come up later. Um, and... It serves two purposes. One is it reminds us of what it was like there, or at least some of the good parts of it. Um, but also, if people see it on the wall, uh, it shows them something of what it was like in Jamaica. 
It's a picture. It's a sign. It points to something beyond itself. And it'd be somewhat crazy if somebody offered us an all-expenses-paid trip to Jamaica for a few weeks, and we said, oh, eh, actually, we'd like another picture, really. Another picture, that would be good. You know, that, that would be crazy. But the, the Bible tells us that marriage is a picture, a sign. In Ephesians 5, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So marriage is a picture of the real thing. It's a temporary thing, and it's for this age. It points beyond itself to something that's eternal. But here's the thing. Singleness is also a sign like marriage. But singleness is a much longer-term sign. It points to the sufficiency of Christ for this age and for the age to come. I said singleness is mostly not chosen, but why not choose it? Unless you're married. Please don't choose it if you're married and say, Graham said, (laughs) I've been told to choose singleness. No, if you're married, you have that gift. Hang on to it. Um, But singleness can be an amazing way of testifying to the supremacy of Jesus. As a single person, if you're not running along with the same attitude as the culture, the prevailing attitude, you are standing up as testimony to Jesus there. And remember that Jesus is also still waiting for his marriage supper, for his bride. And you are part of that. He's been waiting a long time. But there are freedoms that come with being single. In verse 28, he says that those who marry will face troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. There was a lot of persecution going on at the time. And so Paul was saying, you know, best if you don't get married because you're just going to heap even more problems on top. So you might be spared the troubles of the time. But also, if you think it's going to solve all your problems, well, no, what you're going to do if you get married is exchange one set of problems that you're familiar with and know how to deal with for a whole other set of problems that you didn't even know were there. So um, it's, not, it's not some, you know, sort of, well, newly married people are smiling. Okay. Yeah, the older ones are, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's, let's define singleness by what it is and what it has and not by what it hasn't got, what it lacks and what it isn't. People who are single are free to serve the Lord more often and in wider ways than married people are. They might have a higher energy level, and they're just able to give that undivided attention to Jesus. Imagine if there was, I said that there was an opportunity coming up uh, next week for a three-week overseas mission trip. Who wants to come? Immediately, you've got to think of all the... Steve's eyes lit up. Um, Immediately, you've got to think... How can I make it happen? Can I make it happen? And there'll be barriers and things that will stop it. If you are married, there are going to be extra barriers because you've got to think about your spouse, whether they can come or not, how they'll feel being away. And then if, you're, if you've got children as well, you've got yet another set of questions and barriers that relate about your spouse being left with the children, for example, and how they're going to feel. So, you know, all other things being equal, there are just extra barriers, there's extra issues. And it's your um, godly duty, if you like, to take into account your spouse and your children. If your hero is Paul and you want to do the kind of things he did, you've got to recognize that that's not compatible with being married. And I'm sure we all know of many examples where, say, um, pastors of churches have 
got married and they got the children, but then it ended up neglecting them because they put so much into their kingdom work. And even though there are people, missionaries, that have written amazing books and yet have neglected their husband or wife alongside that, that's not the godly way to do it. You've got to consider whether actually to fulfill these desires that God's put in you to serve his kingdom in a, perhaps in a, in a fuller way or in a different way um, should supersede it should supersede you know, your desire to be married. Um, church does sometimes struggle with what to do with single people and may feel pity for them, but actually, no. Single people are valuable. They're perhaps, you know, almost as Paul's hinting, they're even more valuable in terms of kingdom. Um, so, no, they want to serve God. They want to live their lives for the glory of God. And it can be freeing for many people. It allows them to pursue activities they're interested in, um, to join clubs, do different activities, get involved in the arts. So many ways, it's so valuable, where they can be salt and light. They've got that freedom to be out there among people. And that is really important and really valuable and should be honoured. Um, and you will stand out from the culture because, as I said, it pushes the agenda of this you know, coupledom as, as, as the aim. So be encouraged if you're single. You have an amazing opportunity. You, you are salt and light in those places. Um, and you'll, you'll send a clear message. Even Katrina and I, um, when we got engaged, Katrina's mum was so thrilled that she was the only person among her friends who had um, a daughter who wasn't living with the person that they were going to marry. And, it, you know, it was her friends. I mean, none of them were Christians. Her friends were also slightly envious, you know? So doing things that stand up to the culture... It does send a message. And in this day and age, especially if you are attracted to people of the same sex, but have chosen for Christian reasons to not act on that, I mean, you're going to, be, you're going to really clearly stand out in a powerful way. And as part of the, what I've been doing, I've listened to a lot of people who are in that situation and spoken with some. And they're, they're amazing people. You know, They're really a massive testimony to God and to the fact that Jesus is enough. And knowing him is enough, and the other things are secondary. If you get God in number one position, then everything else falls into place, whether you're married or not. If you're married, your wife and your children come in next. Church work comes below that. Never put church work above your wife and children or your husband and children. Um, not, on, you know, not every day in every situation, but as a general thing, um, get things in order. And in our time, it's much more feasible, actually, to be single, um, you know, some of the economic issues, although house prices are high, some of the economic issues are not there anymore. But there are also traps you could fall into as a single person. You could even fall into them as a married person, actually, uh, for some of them. Um, you could perhaps put your life on hold. You could think, oh, yeah, I can't do anything until I'm married. Well, God may bring somebody along, but he may not. So what are you doing in the meantime? You've got to live in that tension between contentment and wanting marriage. Maybe you've even ruled yourself out of ministry. Sometimes people do, and sometimes churches have this strong preference for married couples to be leading things and to be doing the ministry. Um, I want to say explicitly that that is not the case here. Um, We've got single people involved. If you're not involved and feel that just because quite a lot of people are married that are leading things, uh, that is not a policy in any way. Um, Single people are valued here, and so don't... Don't rule yourself out of ministry. And also, 
um, culture thing, because <laughs> some people were concerned that I was standing up here today as a married person talking about singleness. Actually, that's another cultural thing. Let's not fall for it. If you are single, you have got things to say to married people. You will have a perspective they might not have. If married people come against a particular issue and just discuss it amongst themselves, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what it's like, a single person will be able to cut through that and to be able to say if there is something that needs challenging. Um, so your married friends need you if you're single. They need you to have that insight, which can come from God. So, so don't rule yourself out. Another trap, you may have assumed that it will be the same forever, particularly if you're younger. But there are different seasons of singleness. It'll be very different when you're in your 20s, your 40s, your 60s. And from what I've heard and what people have said to me, um, it, you know, it can get easier as you get older, things change. Um, but you do have to make sure you've got certain things in place, which we'll talk about. Um, and a big trap, are you lonely? Loneliness uh, can be a reason that people desperately seek to be married. Um, but I want to say that marriage is not the solution to loneliness. If that is something you are struggling with, getting married is not the solution. Um, I'm going to ask Neil to cut this story out of the recording when, it, when, he, when he edits it later. For the purposes of those who are listening on the recording, I'll just briefly summarise that because you won't have heard the story. Um, so marriage is not a solution to loneliness. Um, if you're not content when you're single, you won't be content when you're married. It isn't singleness that's separating you in any way from the love of Christ. Instead, build good, deep, long-term friendships, especially with Christian brothers and sisters. That is where we get intimacy in its richest sense, okay? Don't cut off your friends. If you do get married, you need them, and they probably need you. Be complete, complete in Christ first, and then if marriage comes along, it'd be so much better for you and your spouse. Um, a friend I talked about, you can leave this bit in, he, because he's reached to God, he is so much stronger in his faith. He's so much happier. Uh, I saw him two or three weeks ago, and it's an incredible transformation, really. Um, and if he does ever get married again, he would do so coming to it as a complete person, someone complete in Christ, and it'll be, it'll be so much better. Only Jesus can love you completely and be your saviour. Please don't look to a man or a woman to do that. Um, we put so much pressure on marriages that the spouse has to give you everything. The spouse can't give you everything. You need other things that can only be provided by friends, by Christian brothers and sisters. And don't believe this lie that you're missing out by not being married, okay? that you're missing out, that God's holding back something from you, is the oldest lie in the book, literally the oldest lie in the book. The serpent came on to Adam and Eve and said, oh, God said you couldn't, you couldn't eat that fruit. Oh, oh gosh, well, does he not want the best for you? Completely ignoring the huge abundance of everything that he was able to give. And more importantly of the, than any of it, ignoring the fact that he had a direct relationship with God. Just focus on this one thing that God said, no, don't do that because that's not good for you. Well, they found they were missing out, of course, but they were missing out on an awful lot of hardship and trouble and decay and all the terrible things that have happened since, and they lost that relationship with God. So God does want what's best. You're not missing out. But if you try to do this on your own, try to just live with your singleness on your own, try to, uh, try to cope with it, try to deal with that you, you know, really do long for a spouse, or in fact, if you try to live up to any moral standards on your own, you're going to have a problem, and that is not the Christian message. It's not about morals per se. The only way you can deal with this is indirectly. It's a byproduct. 
if you think back to the story I read at the beginning, the approach of the wind was a bit like religion. Try harder, try harder, try harder. And it only made things worse. It didn't get anywhere. It didn't achieve it. That is religion. That is trying harder. Christianity is like the sun. The sun shines out. So don't get bogged down with these issues. Instead, focus on God. Let the warmth and the brightness of his love shine on you. And then as a byproduct, you'll be able to deal with all these other things. So know what Jesus has done for you and how God loves you and sees you. The psalmist tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now that's not some kind of conditional thing that like Santa Claus, if you're good, you'll get your presents and you can just pretend, you know. God sees deep and he knows whether you're taking it seriously or not. But our deepest desire actually is for God anyway. So if we seek him, and make, if we do genuinely delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires that are really deep down, that are perhaps the symptoms of just, you know, desire to be married. Don't think of yourself as a single person who happens to be a Christian. So a single person as your identity and circumstance that you're a Christian. That's the wrong way to think of it. You are a Christian, that's your identity, who happens to be single or happens to be married or as Steve read early in the door, uh, at the beginning, um, slave or free or male or female, none of that is relevant. It's just circumstances. You're a Christian who happens to be in certain circumstances. When Jesus came across a lady at a well that had been in a series of relationships, she'd had six previous husbands and was now living with somebody else, and he said to her, looking at the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give them, I give them, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus knows what it's like to be single, yet he lived life in abundance. If he came to give us life in abundance, he can't have not had it himself. And how, did, how was he living life in abundance? He lived his life completely in obedience to God. So the degree to which we can feel we're living an abundant, full life, is a degree to which we are living obedient to God. He's giving us a new identity and an abundant life based on what he did, not on us trying harder, not on us achieving something. It's received, not achieved. And the only person whose eyes matter is God's. There's that phrase, live life for an audience of one. Delight yourself in the Lord. We're also told that we have to live, offer ourselves as living sacrifices. A living sacrifice is one that costs us, one that we re- if we really, really desire something, and yet we're prepared to put that aside, not some kind of tokenism. So I challenge you to say to God that you'll look only to him. How we can be a family, because it's important that all of us help those who are single and look out for them. Um, Paul clearly has lots of relationships with men and women, but his primary relationships with Jesus. We can't be single on our own. Okay, that sounds like a slight paradox, but we can't be single on our own. We need each other um, around us. And the church is our primary source of community. It's how we grow, how we learn to be disciples, and how we have our character shaped and formed. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus was with people. Okay, He spent time with people. So let's live our lives together. And in doing that, as interdependent people, we all stand out as different to the culture. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's a real light to the world when people see that. Sometimes we forget about the amazing Christian community we've got and what it offers. When people from outside come in and get a glimpse of it, they suddenly realize that life within the body of Christ is very different to life outside of it. So it's a very valuable thing, and let's nurture it and let's encourage it. Um, so other things we can do, well, we're going to look mainly in, the, in small groups this week for those of you who are more spiritual and don't watch the football. Um, <laughs> yeah, living sacrifices, giving up something that you really, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, what's priorities, you know. Um, <laughs> I am joking, in case you're worried. Um, well, um, don't make singles a thing. Don't try matchmaking. Don't make a singles group. You know, that's not what it's about, really. But uh, Katrina and I, since we were first going out, we recognised that people, couples tended to separate themselves off to some degree, and then they got married and even more, and then they had children. Just this process of separation, and that's just such a bad way of going about things because you need people, as you're, whether you're married or single, you still need the body. So that's why we did, for example, the start of the games night, because that was something that everybody could come to. It's across the board. It brings all different ages together. Whether you're single or married, it's irrelevant. It just helps to nurture that sense of family. And I know that other people do, you know, things like preparing meals, eating together, sharing money, cars, homes, um, going on holiday, having fun. All those things that you would do as a family, we can do as a church family. Um, I know that Annie and Sheila are especially good at that, and you encourage your group, and that's an amazing testimony, actually, um, that you do those things with each other, but you also expand that to lots of others. Um, that's an amazing witness to Jesus working in your lives and, and, it, and it's spreading. I know Stephen Hannah have done it as well, and yet there could be loads of stories. And I have to say, the people that I spoke to that are single in church, their experience has been good in this church. It's not been like some churches where you, know, you might feel a bit pushed out. So, so be encouraged, it's good. But look at more of that in, in uh, house groups this week. Um, I'm going to end with this. Some of the best, those are some of the best words in any talk, aren't they? I'll end with this, as long as you don't go on for another 20 minutes. Um, uh, just to say, um, there's prayer available. If any of this has come up, uh, Steve mentioned about the splinter earlier on. Oh, Claire's got a dodgy finger there. Um, waving it to me. <laughs> if you need prayer um, for any of these splinters that have gone in a fester, anything that needs to be dealt with. The past is the past, and it can be dealt with. Okay. Um, it can be sorted out and so do get prayer find somebody that you know and trust and get them to pray with you and to put these things right and if there's anything that any kind of relationship that you felt was out of order in the past and needs prayer for just to clear it away then take the opportunity if you're struggling with any of these things and you feel that you can trust somebody enough to speak to them please do um, and have grace towards yourself if you're single some days and some seasons of life will be harder than others. God has not forgotten you. You are not missing out. He will help you to grow through it. A person can answer the call to serve God in any condition, married or single, slave or free, rich or poor. The only thing that matters is living obediently before God. So wouldn't it be great if GCC was known as a place where singles see their singleness as an opportunity, complete in their identity in Christ, not halves looking for another half. Where parents and families celebrate the fact that their single adult children can serve God in a way their married children can't. Where singles build friendship, find support and encouragement, accountability and security.
a place that's sensitive to the needs of singles, purposeful in ministering to singles, accepting and affirming them, welcoming them as full partners in community and in ministry, providing opportunities for them to serve in all areas, where singles and marrieds interact, recognizing that they need each other. And most of all, where Christian singles no longer fear being alone in the world, but realize they have a message of hope for it. So to those of you who have the single gift of singleness now, and to those of us who will have it in the future, may you so delight yourself in the Lord that you will have the desires of your heart, and may your abundant lives shine out in the world as a clear message of hope for all, and especially for single people. Amen. <laughs>